You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and got yet another action-packed show for you today. Uh, as you heard uh, there at the uh, on the news break, uh, lots of uh, players who are hurt, but uh, maybe sort of close to game time decisions today. So we'll certainly head over those. We've got some intrigue in the Indians' rotation, likely later this week, and I've got a Twitter poll. To help me talk about that one. And, uh, of course, some outstanding and interesting performances from Monday's slate that we just have to dig into. But let's get to those news items. And let's start with that Indians rotation. Uh, the news there being that Danny Salazar has likely made his final rehab start uh, coming back from his shoulder injury. So that would put him in line to start for the Indians this coming weekend. And this has been a situation that, uh, as an owner, I've been, uh, you know, sort of hoping that uh, it would take its time unfolding. And, of course, part of that equation is uh, I don't own Danny Salazar. So if you're a Salazar owner, you may be very eager, probably are very eager to get him back into your rotation. But uh, you've got uh, three other pitchers that are potentially affected here. I am leaving Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco out of this equation. But uh, the rest of the Indians rotation, I think any one of those three could be viewed as potentially vulnerable. Uh, those three, of course, being Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, and Josh Tomlin. So I put it to a Twitter poll because well, I, I have my preference for who I think uh, should be out. But, uh, you know, it's kind of a fun exercise. Unfortunately, we don't get to decide. But if we did get to decide, it would be Josh Tomlin because uh, I put this uh, poll out this morning, let it run for three hours, and with the final results in, Tomlin got the majority of the vote. 54% think Tomlin should be the odd man out. Personally, I think it's Trevor Bauer's time to uh, to make way for Danny Salazar, but he did get 32% of the vote and 14% Mike Clevenger. And I'm actually, in a way, surprised that wasn't higher. Uh, and, and I think he has been, and, and clearly the uh, voters on the whole, think he's been the best of the three. I think he's definitely been the best of the three. He's also the least established of the three. So I'm guessing that the uh, roughly one out of every seven people who voted for Clevenger, they were probably thinking along those lines. Uh, but uh, in any event, we'll be kept in suspense in terms of how Terry Francona is going to handle this situation. And again, remember, it's not a done deal. There's got to be a determination made as to whether or not San, uh, uh, Salazar rather, will be ready. But that determination is supposed to come today. Uh who knows? Maybe in the next hour we'll find out. That would be great. Uh, I'd love to share that information. Uh, but we will see. And, of course, if it doesn't come down the next hour, definitely keep an eye on that story uh, because there are four pitchers out there who could be potentially uh, uh, affected by that, including, of course, Salazar himself. So that's just one of the many, many uh, news items we need to get to. Lots more to come after the break. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back.
2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galina picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at RotoExperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, as we've discussed, as I discussed, maybe you were discussing amongst yourselves before the break, uh, the Indians have a uh, rotation crunch. So uh, there is supposed to be a determination at some point today about uh, whether or not Danny Salazar is coming back. I don't know if that necessarily, however, is coupled with the news of who might be removed. So that was something I probably should have made a disclaimer of uh, when we, I was talking this beforehand. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what news comes. Uh, but lots more else to get to here, particularly in terms of injuries. Uh, according to Rockies manager Bud Black, David Dahl may not be ready to return the season. Uh, he feels like Dahl has not really gotten uh, enough uh, playing time in terms of rehab, not enough at-bats, and... Um, you know, this uh, rib injury that Dahl had, it's its a tricky one, and uh, he, he just may not be afforded enough time. I know it sounds odd with uh, more than a third of the season left to go, but um, I would have to defer to uh, Bud Black's judgment and expertise on that one. So um, that's the latest. So if you are stashing Dahl, I think its it sounds like a pretty good bet that uh, if, if you needed that space for somebody else, uh, you know, whether it's DL or bench, that you can probably let him go. Uh, for Greg Bird, probably make the same determination there. Again, depends on your situation, the depth of your league. But Greg Bird this morning had surgery on his right ankle. Uh, he had some uh, excess bone growth there. Uh, so uh, he had surgery to correct that. And he is going to be out for six weeks. So the earliest we could expect to see him would be early September. So... It's, I would say it's not an automatic drop, but you're not only talking about Black, or I'm sorry, about um, Greg Bird uh, having a limited amount of playing time, maybe you know four weeks, possibly less. You know, I think probably best case scenario is maybe the last four weeks of the season. You know, maybe it's even less than that. Uh, and then there's the question of how, you know, how much time will he need to really kind of get into form. So I, certainly in shower leagues, if, if you're stashing Bird, it, that looks like a, a real long shot for him to uh, uh, to, to contribute to your team. And if you're in a head-to-head format where maybe you just really need the spot for players who are going to help you maybe get into your league's postseason, again, Bird's definitely not going to help you with that. He may help you once you're in the postseason. And who knows, maybe you can circle back and pick him up later. But uh, lots of scenarios where I think it would make sense to drop Greg Bird uh, in, in seasonal leagues, in redraft leagues. J.D. Martinez left Monday's game early against the Royals with a tight lower back. Have not seen any further updates on that. That's obviously a big impact uh, situation for your roster, though. And same goes for Carlos Correa, who jammed his, jammed his thumb on Monday. And that is a re-aggravation of an earlier thumb injury that he had 
uh, that caused him to miss a game. Correa will be reevaluated today, and uh, as of at least a few minutes ago, I did not see any new updates on Correa. Same deal with Wilson Ramos. Uh, day-to-day, has been out uh, recently with a hamstring injury. He may be ready to go tonight. Uh, in fact, as of last night, there was a report that he, he Ramos, uh, thought that he'd be ready to return tonight. But uh, definitely don't want to assume anything with that one. We do, by the way, have some lineups in. None of the ones, however, that pertain to any of the players I've mentioned so far. But maybe at some point during the hour we'll get an update on Ramos, Correa, uh, or uh, J.D. Martinez. Brandon Belt, let's add him to the list. Some chance he could return for the Giants uh, tonight. And uh, that is a 10-15 start at AT&T Park. So you're on your own with that one. I don't think I'm going to have an update for you, uh, most likely on Brandon Belt, as the Giants face the Indians and Mike Clevenger. The fans' favorite, the the Twitter resp- poll respondents' favorite, to keep his job when Danny Salazar comes back. Uh, so no news there on Brandon Belt, who's been dealing with a wrist injury. Howie Kendrick took batting practice yesterday with the Phillies uh, starting off their series at Marlins Park. He may go on a rehab assignment later on this week, but he has been cleared for all baseball activity. So that's a good sign for Howie Kendrick. But I'm guessing we'll see him minimally, if at all, in fantasy for this week. But I do think whenever Kendrick comes back, you'll see him play because uh, the Phillies have really not made a secret of it that they would like to trade him. They're going to have to showcase Kendrick. And frankly, there's an opportunity with um, Aaron Altair on the disabled list. Uh, Kendrick could just uh, slot into a a corner outfield spot and uh, uh, get his playing time that way. And speaking of Phillies DL moves, Vince Velasquez was activated earlier today. He is scheduled to make the start tonight at Marlins Park against the Marlins of all teams. He will, however, be on a pitch count. So even if you wanted to chance it with with Velasquez, probably not going to go real deep in that one. So just uh, be be forewarned. The Marlins last night placed Martin Prado on the 10-day disabled list with a knee injury. He was uh, very noticeably gimpy in uh, that game last night. Uh, So they have uh, taken uh, matters into their hands, placed Prado on the DL. And much like with Kendrick, that's that's a tough one for the Marlins because uh, Prado very clearly on the trading block. He's been named repeatedly as one of the key players that the Marlins are going to try to move. So that really, uh, I would think, hurts his, his trade value. And I have not seen any indication as to whether or not Prado is likely to just have the minimum 10-day stay or longer than that. And if it is longer than that, I think you're probably looking at best-case scenario, maybe he's dealt um, you know, during the, the waiver uh, trade period where a player first has to go through, through waivers, uh, that, that uh, being through the month of August. Steven Vogt also with a knee injury. Uh, this one uh, was was uh, pretty pretty brutal to be honest. Uh, collided, collided rather with uh, that was an interesting slip by me. Uh, Steven Vogt collided with Pirates uh, pitcher Chad Cool. He is scheduled to have an MRI MRI on that knee today. So uh, Vogt uh, clearly be out for at least a while there for the Brewers. Yankees and the Oakland Athletics have been discussing a potential trade for Yonder Alonso. Can you imagine the power Alonso could have with a trade to the Yankees? Because as it's been well publicized, as you've 
viewed it most likely with your own eyes. He has gone fly ball crazy. He has gone pole crazy this year. We've seen terrific results from Alonzo in terms of uh, the unprecedented power from him. We've never seen that before from Leander Alonzo. Take that out of Oakland Coliseum and put that in Yankee Stadium with some occasional trips to Camden Yards and uh, Fenway Park and Rogers Center. That could be fun, especially if you're a Yonder Alonzo owner. And Braves manager Brian Snicker says that uh, Dansby Swanson is not an everyday player for him right now. We've kind of seen that already for about the past week. We've seen Johan Camargo get a lot of starts uh, at shortstop. But uh, so Snicker, I guess you could argue, sort of, just sort of validating what we've already witnessed, but also, you know, kind of as a signal going forward that, yeah, you know, he's not in a big hurry to get Dansby Swanson back into the Braves lineup. And Snicker did not rule out the possibility of sending Swanson back to the minors. So uh, if you are a Swanson owner, and most likely if that's the case, that that's a deeper league that you've got him in, uh, you do need to probably look very hard at your, your shortstop options because that's not really sounding very good for Swanson to even get an opportunity really to get back on track in the next uh, few days or maybe even weeks to come. So uh, on the other hand, Johan Camargo, at least for the short term, uh, becomes a much more attractive pickup in those same deep leagues. In fact, maybe he's just the guy you slide into your lineup to replace uh, Dansby Swanson. I, I don't think that's necessarily going to last forever, or at least for the end of the season, because you get Ozzy Albies, who's been playing shortstop uh, in the minors. He could come up. Uh, I would think he would be up at some point this year. But you know, the Braves, they've really got a, kind of a, a surplus there. In their, uh, in their infield, especially with Sean Rodriguez uh, being back now. So I have no idea really how that's going to play out. But um, it certainly is a plus for Johan Camargo, to be absolutely sure. So that's a wrap in terms of the big news items. But uh, like I said, a lot of injury uh, items there that uh, hopefully I'll know more about as the show goes on and as more lineups come in. And in fact got a bunch more that have just come in and uh we will certainly get to that in the next segment we'll also get to some of the top pitching performances and some of the not so top pitching performances that are worth uh, a much closer look and uh take a look at the weather and see if that's going to threaten any of your daily lineup options so so much information to share with you for today but uh right now we got to go to a break but when we come back start tackling all that good stuff be right back. Ezekiel Elliott, Carl Anthony Towns. Corey Seager. Those are the rookies of the year. Much like the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. The fastest growing fantasy sports network on radio is completely free. 24-7. Listen to us live at FNTSY.com slash radio or download the app right now in the Google Play Store or on iTunes. (laughs) 
You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Thanks for coming on back. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, did you know that you can now take the world's premier 24-7 fantasy sports radio network with you wherever you go? Well, you can. All you got to do is download the fantasy sports radio app right now on iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free. Yes, free. Anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill. Benny Riccardi in your car, or Greg Sussman on the subway, or just relax with the king on the couch, or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fancy Sports Radio app for free right now in iTunes or on Google Play, and take the experts with you. So let's do a little check-in on some lineups. And I do just have one uh, news item uh, from this morning that I left out in the uh, first couple of segments that the Red Sox have sent down to Pawtucket Sam Travis and Robbie Scott coming up in their places. Brian Johnson, who's going to start uh, tonight for the Red Sox, and uh, also Hector Velasquez. So uh, that transaction uh, certainly impacts our uh, lineups for tonight. And the Red Sox lineup is out. You got Brian Johnson taking the mound uh, for the Red Sox against the Blue Jays and Jay Happ. We do not have a Blue Jays lineup yet, but um, we do have. And I apologize, we just uh, page updated on me. I got the Marlins lineup now, so I got to check that one real quick. But the Red Sox lineup, uh, because there's no Sam Travis and they're facing the lefty Jay Happ, you got Chris Young DHing and Hanley Ramirez playing first base tonight. So that is uh, your Red Sox lineup with the usual outfield alignment there. Uh, but, yeah, no San Travis to uh, relieve Mitch Moreland against the lefty uh, Jay Happ. In uh, some other lineup developments here, we got the Rangers lineup. Uh, they'll all be going with Tyson Ross against the Orioles and Dylan Bundy. And that's another jogs my memory on another news item, or at least a trade rumor, that's been uh, floating around the internet that the Rockies are interested in both Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman and Dylan Bundy in Colorado. That's I gotta say, that's a curious one because the Rockies part of their success this year is they've done a really nice job building that rotation, you know, really for the first time I can remember in Rockies history where they've really had a solid rotation, you know, pretty much one through five. And it's been a lot of ground ball pitchers. So, Dylan Bundy in Colorado would, would be interesting because he is certainly not a ground ball pitcher. But back back to that game. Rangers lineup is out. No Drew Robinson. Talked about him on yesterday's show. Really like his potential, uh, especially with Jeff Bannister saying that he's looking for him to get starts against righties. Dylan Bundy is a righty, and there is no Drew Robinson. So you have both Joey Gallo and uh, Mike Napoli in the lineup and that's been one configuration they've been able to use to uh, you know, sit one of those two and get, uh, get Drew Robinson in there, but uh, not the case tonight against the Orioles. And uh Internet's been having fun with this Diamondbacks Reds, Reds game tonight because you got Robbie Ray and Sal Romano for the long-awaited Ray Romano pitching matchup. Uh, everybody loves Scooter Jeanette except when the Reds are facing a lefty. So no Scooter Jeanette in the Reds lineup, but you have both Jose Peraza and Zach Cozart uh, in there uh, forming that double play combo, no Scooter Jeanette. 
And uh, let's see, we got uh, got one more for you. Dodgers, White Sox, that's an 8-10 start. So that's the first of the later games we've got lineups for. And uh, because that game is in Chicago at the AL Park, uh, the Dodgers do have Chase Utley in the lineup as their DH. And for the White Sox, not that this is particularly immediately relevant for fantasy, but no Yalmer Sanchez. You got uh, Tyler Saladino playing second base for them. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up, really it's, it's, it's just a very flimsy excuse for me to uh, promote my waiver wire column up on FanDrag Sports. Um, but, I mean, not really just that. But that is a part of it. But um, in that, that piece, I was writing about the players who are likely to, to fill in the voids left by the, the potentially multitude of trades, the potential multitude of trades that the, the White Sox could make in the next couple of weeks. And it's, it's not going to take a trade to get, at least I don't think it's going to take a trade, to get Yohan uh back up to the big leagues. Because uh, second base, they've really been, the White Sox have kind of put a patchwork together there. But Yomar Sanchez, of late, has been getting some pretty steady playing time there. And I was very surprised to find that Sanchez, with uh, roughly 70 games played, I don't remember the exact number, 73, 74, um, he is a one-war player so far. And that's largely skewed by the defensive numbers. But I found it interesting, because that might not sound like a lot, but being a, a if that figure over roughly half a season, if Sanchez is a one-war player, and you do the easy math and say, oh, double that up over a full season, he's about a two-war player. Well, Jonathan Scope was a two-war player last year at second base. Rugnet Odor was a two-war player last year at second base. So... I just, I'm, I'm a little more interested now in how the White Sox are going to deal with that because I've been sort of looking at that situation as a from a fantasy owner perspective. Uh, it's like, oh, Yalmer Sanchez, he's just keeping the seat warm. But uh, he's actually been very valuable to the to the White Sox, or at least you know more valuable than I would have guessed just based on looking at his offensive numbers. Uh, but I, I think in the end, uh, you will see Moncada come in there and he'll, he'll come in there as a, as a second baseman, but uh, check out that piece. Cause uh, I talk about guys like uh, Tommy Canely and Nikki Delmonico. So uh, check, check that out. And of course uh, also Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. Certainly don't want to leave them out. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to the weather for tonight. And um, there are some situations here that you need to look out for. There's not any games that look like they're going to have, Huge, uh, you know, 40, 50% and up uh, chances of precipitation at game time. But you do have some situations where there's going to be some lingering, uh, some lingering uh, precipitation, perhaps. the That Blue Jays-Red Sox game I was just talking about, it's a 24% chance at game time. It's actually a higher chance even before that. So I could see there being a delayed start there. Uh, and again, as always, this weather information comes from Roto-Grinders and meteorologist Kevin Roth. So that's one game to watch. Blue Jays at Red Sox. And also the Cubs at the Braves. Similar situation there with a good chance of rain beforehand, but a game time 23%, tapering off as the night goes on. Yankees Twins. That's That one looks a little more sketchy. 32% chance of precipitation at game time with uh, it leveling it off, leveling off very, very gradually. So that's one uh, that you may really need to check back on as you get closer and closer. That's Luis Sessa and Bartolo Colon. 
starting in that one. Hmm. That should be interesting. And that is about it. A little bit of a rain chance in San Francisco tonight for that uh, 10-15 game against the Indians, but doesn't look like anything too bad. So a few games that you need to check back on as we get closer to the low 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock starts later on tonight. All righty. Well, let's go back to last night and take a look at some of the major pitching performances. Usually start this type of segment off with the really good performances, but I think the most notable ones were actually the ones that weren't very good. A couple of pitchers who have really been stalwarts this year came up short last night and not the first time in recent starts for these two. And I'm talking about Lance McCullers and Jason Vargas. So let's start with Lance McCullers against the Mariners. Only lasted four and two-thirds, gave up five runs, four of which were earned on six hits and three walks and five strikeouts. So two things, well, really three things stand out. One is he gave up a bunch of runs. But in terms of how did he get there, uh, three walks and four and two-thirds, and then the four and two-thirds itself, not a long start. And this is becoming a little bit of a troubling pattern for McCullers, who was really a very pleasant surprise earlier in the season, was going deep into games. And these things kind of go hand-in-hand in that you go deep into games, and typically along with that is some good control. And that's why it was a pleasant surprise for Lance McCullers, because that was always the Achilles heel, was the control the control improved, therefore the efficiency improved, therefore the innings were greater for McCullers. He had some seven-inning starts with some frequency in the first month and a half or so. But more recently, it's been kind of a more familiar pattern with Lance McCullers of more walks, shorter appearances, five innings, five and two-thirds, you know, stuff of that nature. Uh, there was one seven-inning start mixed in there, but mostly it's been six innings and fewer for McCullers. His last three starts in particular, really trending in the wrong direction, throwing only 60% of his pitches for strikes uh, with seven walks over uh, 14 and one-thirds innings. That is not good. That innings total is not good for three starts. That walk total is not good for the number of starts, and it also explains the number of innings. So, uh, whereas McCullers was looking just like a an absolute lock as a must-start guy, that's starting to look a little more questionable now. I'm not quite ready to sit him just yet, but I'd say one more start like this one, and I'm probably looking to sit Lance McCullers. Um, and then as far as the Vargas start, he only lasted two and two-thirds innings against the Tigers, but this is kind of a, a different bit of a storyline. Now, he walked four batters in two and two-thirds innings, so there is a similarity there, but when Vargas has trouble, the issue is usually extra base hits because he's a fly ball pitcher and a pretty extreme one at that. And um, he gave up two home runs in this game against the Tigers, coming on the heels of a start where he gave up three runs against the Mariners. I am running short on time to talk about Jason Vargas, so I'm going to have to continue this in the next segment, and there's a bunch of other pitchers you need to know about as well, so stick around. I'm going to be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. 
Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. We are back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, got a little tidbit here. This, these are going to be coming up frequently, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. Lots of trade rumors, trade stories. This one from Mark Feinsand of MLB.com. Uh, Yankees have reached out to the Mets about both Lucas Duda and Addison Reed. And he says uh, more coming on MLB.com about that one. So, uh that seems like a pretty good fit there, I have to say, in terms of uh, both Duda and Reed. So uh, I'm sure we'll be that won't be the last we hear about that one. Uh, but uh, also, it wasn't the last you heard about Jason Vargas. Started to talk about him in the last segment. Really, uh, just frankly, a bad start against the Tigers. Gave up seven, uh, seven or I'm sorry, six runs, but on seven hits and four walks in just two and two thirds innings. Did get four strikeouts. Um, this looked like just a bad matchup for Vargas going in because the Tigers have been the most productive team in the major leagues against left-handed pitchers, uh, at least if you measure it by WOBA, and that typically does uh, you know correlate pretty well with um, you know other other sorts of metrics like uh, OPS. But I, I like to use WOBA. I think it's a good catch-all measurement for offensive production because it, it you know weights every offensive event, uh, and when you put that all together for the Tigers. They got the best numbers against lefties, so that didn't bode really well for Jason Vargas. But as I also mentioned right before going uh, off to break, this is not just a standalone bad start for Jason Vargas. Now, he had a very good month of June um, after, of course, starting off great early in the year. But even after the strikeouts uh, went away, the, the ground balls that he was getting very early in the season and very mysteriously, very weirdly, uh, he went back to being the fly ball pitcher he's always been. And then shortly after that, went back to being the more contact-prone pitcher he's always been. But still being really effective right through the end of June. Uh, and, and, you know, I think maybe we forget, but, you know, before Tommy John surgery, I mean, Vargas was, was fantasy-relevant. You didn't want to use him in uh, bad uh, parks for pitchers. You know, you didn't want to use him in, in the band box, given his his fly ball tendencies. But a guy with good control, good command, um, you know, who could really do well in places where he's pitched uh, a lot, like uh, Safeco Field. Um, you know, where he uh, was with the the Mariners. But um, yeah, this is just not a good matchup for for Vargas. But over the last two starts, including a visit to Safeco Field, which is what makes this a little bit worrisome. Three homers in that start, two homers against the Tigers, so five total in the last two starts. And uh, three of those five have come on his sinker, which is not, even in better times, the best pitch uh, for Vargas in terms of preventing extra base hits, but it's just getting clobbered lately. So might be time. I wouldn't say it's time to to drop Vargas, this is just two starts as compared to you know a half season of really good performance and good fancy production. But uh, I worry that uh, you know maybe he's just going back to being a, a streamer type. Uh, and I, I worry you know with that Seattle start at Safeco that maybe he's 
he's going to be less than that, but he, he deserves more, certainly more of a hearing than just his first two starts in July. So we'll keep an eye on Jason Vargas in the future starts. Brent Suter is somebody who uh, became kind of popular in the past week or so, partly because he put together a couple of really nice starts uh, in, in sort of a swingman function for the Brewers, but also because he had a couple of really nice matchups uh, this week in store. He had the first of those on Monday at Pittsburgh, so really good venue for Suter. Uh, also a team that does not hit right-handed pitchers very well, so really lined up nicely for Suter. Uh, kind of a big letdown. Only four and two-thirds innings for Suter with seven hits allowed. Uh, it's pretty hittable. And unlike in his first couple of starts, really did not produce strikeouts. Just two of them to go with uh, two walks. So two runs and four and two-thirds for Suter. Um, I mean, not, certainly you would call it a disastrous start, but you, that's that's not giving you a whole lot of fantasy value with the short outing, seven hits, and only two strikeouts. But breaking this one down is kind of interesting. I think it gives us some clues to how we can use Suter going forward in fantasy uh, if he does manage to stay in the in the uh, Brewers rotation. And that's, that's a whole other thing altogether. But assuming he does... In this particular start against the Pirates, he get, he threw only 70 pitches, so a very short outing altogether. Um, 15 called strikes. That's a good ratio. That's a really good ratio. It almost makes me wonder why he wasn't able to maybe get at least one more strikeout. But he got 15 called strikes out of 70 pitches, only six swinging strikes, which, you know, six out of 70, that's not bad. It's just kind of average. Uh, but it, it really fits the profile of the opponent he was facing. The Pirates have one of the lowest swing percentages in the major leagues, 45.4%. So not a very aggressive team at all. So that totally matches up with them not swinging and missing, uh, but getting a lot of called strikes, right? Matches up. The thing is, for uh, a pitcher like Suter, he works very, very heavily in the zone. He's got a 51% zone rate this year. Throws a lot of strikes. So, yeah, he's going to get, for a team like the Pirates, you know, he's going to get a lot of called strikes, but he's not going to get a, a whole lot of swings and misses. Um, so, I, in a way, I think Suter, he, he's going to have a lot more value when he faces a, a more aggressive team. And when did we see that? In his uh, first of these three recent starts in the, uh, in the Brewers' rotation, he faced the Orioles. And I spent a good amount of time on yesterday's show, Monday's show, talking about the Orioles because that's who faced Jose Quintana in his first Cubs start. And they swung and missed 20 times. And the last time that Quintana faced the Orioles as a member of the White Sox, very similar result. But it's, it's not just Quintana. It's not just Brent Suter. It's, you know, the Orioles are one of the most aggressive teams and not a very good contact-making team uh, in the majors. So, you know, for a guy like Suter, that's, that's an ideal matchup because he's just going to pound the zone, and the Orioles, are, they're going to swing, and they're going to miss a lot of those. So, you know, that explains why when Suter faced the Orioles three starts ago, that he got 17 swings and misses, right? Night and day, right, between that start and the Pirates start. So you got to it's digging really deep, but I mean I think we can pick and choose these situations where Brent Suter is going to be a really good fantasy pitcher. It's a, it's yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work, 
but <laughs> uh, he's you know he's still even with the gain in popularity, he's still widely available. So he's he could still be a sneaky cheap way to occasionally get a, a good start. You know when he faces really uh, you know really aggressive teams. So you know certainly the Padres. Uh, of course, that's a good start for you know just about everybody. Um, you know they certainly stick out as uh, a team that would be good. Now, I don't know if the Padres are still on the. Brewers schedule. That was just an example uh, that I was thinking of. But the Cubs, I'm certain that the Brewers and the Cubs will be playing some. That could be a good, uh, a very good matchup for Suter. Marcus Stroman with a really good uh, start overall. Now, he gave up three runs to the Red Sox, but none of them were earned. So from a fantasy perspective, this was a really good start. He went six and two-thirds, did walk three batters, but he struck out five, only gave up five hits. And again, no earned runs for Marcus Stroman. And uh, mentioning it simply because it's a good fantasy result and because if you listen to my interview with Jonah Carey last week, we both sort of poo-pooed Marcus Stroman as being a little bit overrated in fantasy. And, and Jonah and I agreed. We'd both much rather have Zach Godley. So... In a way, I feel like you know maybe we we sort of jinxed ourselves with that one because the last godly start, even with nine strikeouts, was not very good, and the Stroman start was uh, was clearly better. So, what do we know? <laughs> Eduardo Rodriguez uh, in that same game for the Red Sox, making uh, his first appearance off of the DL, not such a good start really, but he did get eight strikeouts, uh, so I can't really say it was a bad start, but the rest of the line's not so good. Only made it five and a third, gave up three runs, walked four batters, and gave up six hits. So the strikeouts were good, but uh, you know, sort of a little bit of a mirror of that Zach Godley start I was just talking about. Lots of Ks, but overall um, not really a terrific result from Eduardo Rodriguez, but we could certainly give him a pass because that was his first start. In, in quite a while. So uh, we'll uh, certainly look forward to, I would think, better things from Eduardo Rodriguez. But, you know, the walks could be a problem. Well, the thing with Rodriguez that I do worry about is home runs uh, because he is very fly y uh, So that could get, get him into trouble uh, in some starts. John Lester, uh, really, really good start. So if you were worried about him with uh, his last start being pretty disastrous, and, uh, I, you know, I said that didn't really jive with what we had seen from Lester for all the, uh, for all the previous starts, even though the numbers had been sort of disappointing as a whole. Uh, to me, this is good validation that John Lester is still John Lester. At Atlanta, Braves have been, uh, been playing pretty well lately, but Lester went seven innings strong, only one run allowed, only three hits allowed, one walk, and six Ks. Really nice start for John Lester. He is just fine. Um, and Alberto Mejia, he's kind of snuck up on me a little bit. I liked him a lot in the spring, had a good spring. I remember early in the season talking to Brandon Warren of Zone Coverage, had him on. Uh, he is a Twins expert. We talked about Mejia. We both like him. Uh, he has started to turn the corner, Mejia, and he had a nice start against the Yankees. Only won five and a third, but um, four strikeouts, no walks, only one run, five hits, and he's been on a little bit of a, of a run last three starts, a 3.79 ERA, but two of those starts were very, very good. Prior to those three starts, he had two scoreless starts, but in this three-start stretch, he has a 12% whiff rate and 64% strikes thrown. That's the potential that you've seen from Mejia, particularly with the good control that you've seen in the minor leagues. So keep an eye on him. Anyhow, we've got some hitter performances to get to. 
you don't want to miss uh, the analysis of those, so uh, stick around. I'll be right back with that. fantasy nerds here's a question for you what do mozzarella sticks and the fantasy sports radio network have in common they're both awesome apps but seriously download the fantasy sports radio network app right now and get all your favorite shows and fantasy advice at the touch of a tiny icon on your screen snapchat and instagram aren't going to help you win a fantasy football title but the fantasy sports radio network app will so go get it now on google play and itunes Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And uh, one last check-in with the lineups. And um, you may recall, if you were listening at the very beginning of the show and I was running down some of the injury updates, uh, I was hoping we'd have something on Carlos Correa and uh, J.D. Martinez, Wilson Ramos. Well, Wilson, Wilson Ramos, that was wishful thinking because the Rays have a 10 o'clock game in Oakland, but still no Tigers lineup for J.D. Martinez. And uh, as for Carlos Correa, also uh, no Astros lineup there, an A-10 start versus the Mariners at home. Uh, so that's a little frustrating. But, uh, you know, the Internet will have answers for you, I'm sure, very, very soon later in the day if uh, you need to know about uh, those guys for your lineup. But let's uh, take a look at some of the big hitting performances from Monday. Uh, John Carlos Stanton is our uh, sole member of the two homer club. He's a frequent uh, participant in that Hit homers number 27 and 28 against the Phillies. He also walked twice. So quite the game there for John Carlos Stanton having a heck of a season. Uh, but Trevor story is, Interesting and intriguing to me. And he he has as confusing of a stat line as any player uh, that I could find. Um, I, I'd like to find a clear narrative here to say whether, you know, this disappointing season is just not going to get any better. But there's just enough positive signs in there. I don't know. But so let me just lay it out for you. Uh, on Monday against the Padres, he did have a good game, went two for three uh, with a walk and also his 14th double of the season. And I, I started digging into the story because I noticed that the batting average keeps climbing and climbing. And here we go. Another two-hit game for Trevor Story. Looks really good. Well, yeah, over his last 29 games, he's hitting 278. You, you would take that from Trevor Story, no doubt, because you figure, well, you know, that, that 30 homer potential, maybe, you know, even more than 30 homers, that's that's there. Course field, good power, so a little stolen base potential for Trevor Story. Right, so 278 batting average tossed in with all that looks great. The problem is that over the last 29 games, he's hit only three home runs and only four doubles, and one of those just came last night. So that adds up to a 134 ISO. That's uh, that's not good. That is a very low measure of uh, power, especially for somebody you know like Trevor Story that we expect better from. Um, he's striking out a ton, so that batting average looks really suspect. But here's the thing that really makes it confusing. His average fly ball distance is 342 feet. I mean, that's last year it was 351 feet, and he was up at the top of the leaderboard or near it uh, all season long. So he's at a very similar, just he's off that pace. But that's that's really, that's a good show of power. 
So I don't know, you know, I don't know what to make of this. I really don't. It's such a mixed bag, I guess, you know, in terms of actionable advice, just stick with the story because there's there's something there. I'm not sure how this is all going to play out, but he's worth, uh, even at this late date, worth a, a longer look. His teammate, Herrera Parda, Herrera, let me try that again, Herrera Parra, still got it wrong, and I'm running out of time. Herrera, Herrera Parra, why am I having a hard time? The uh, Rockies outfielder <laughs> had two hits with his eighth home run against the Padres that same game. Um, very interesting, though, at home, not too surprising, I guess. He's hitting 398 with a 32% line drive rate. Whole different story away from Coors Field. Uh, players do tend to hit a lot of line drives at Coors Field for obvious reasons. The park really uh, supports that well. But uh, Para got, got a start at home. Numbers on the road are pretty meh. And Gregory Polanco, he's really, uh, really rising. A four-hit game for him with a couple of doubles, hitting uh, 438 uh, in the month of July with only a 6% strikeout rate. So happy note there to end on with Gregory Polanco. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Hope your week is going well. Stay tuned for On Target coming up next. See you on Thursday. <laughs>